Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is charting the path to automating the data center. Uh, and our guests for today's show are Brenda Decker, who is the CIO with the state of Nebraska. Good morning, uh, Brenda. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. How are you? I am just doing fantastic. Could not complain. Life and work and overall weather in Chicago is beautiful. How is it going for you? I think they're really uh, nice in Lincoln. It's a beautiful day this morning, and uh, Lincoln is is doing well. The state of Nebraska is doing well. We're prospering, so, you know, things are going well. Hey, that's quite a good positive note. And we also have Richard Fischera, who is the Vice President and Principal Analyst with Infrastructure and Operations Group at Forrester Research. Good morning, Richard. How are you? Good morning. How I'm doing fine. I'm uh, sitting here staring out in an absolutely gorgeous day in the city of San Francisco. Yes, and you have the right to tease us with, with all the beautiful days that you see, not only today, but, you know, before and after this, right? Um, well, actually, I can't tease you for long because later today I'll be flying back to Boston where it's either too hot or too humid or too something. <laughs> all right. So, by the way, the weather always has changing patterns and it has its own challenges. And we are here to discuss challenges related to data center. That so, Brenda, let's start Yes, yes, and and that's why, Brenda, I'd like to start with you. What do you think are the typical battles, in your view, with respect to data center? You're trying to keep it always on, handle the increasing complexity, and or trying to get more for less or more for nothing, as IT is always asked to do. Well, that's absolutely right. I think, you know, as every state government, uh, we're always being asked to make sure that we are uh, giving our taxpayers the biggest bang for their buck, quite frankly, um, we're always asked to do more with less, um, and especially in the economy that we have just all come through or are still battling our way out of, I think things are still to the point where we're, we're looking at how do we continue to operate these data centers and, and literally keep those services on. Uh, we, we had an instance here in Lincoln about six to seven months ago where the um, local telephone company lost their telephone service for, for the city of Lincoln for a period of about four hours. And, you know, we didn't get one complaint from anybody once the, even once the service came back on. But when we have a five-minute outage on our data center or on our computing platforms, 
we just get flooded with with when are we going to be back up? What's going to happen next? People expect these services to be up 24 by 7. They expect redundancy, resiliency. Um, there's just no going down. When you've got services as critical to the public as public safety, hospitals, uh, clinics, those kinds of things, um, you just can't afford to have your data center go down. So our, our challenge is literally making sure that we have the ability to keep an always-on system and handle the, the new things that are coming down the road. And while I, while I think about it, it's always, you know, I want to do this, I want to modernize, but we've always got these legacy systems we've always got to keep moving forward with as well. So it's, it's a challenge, and it's really a challenge as you're looking at shrinking workforce, as you're looking at less um, money to, to do those things, um, and we really we struggle with it some days. Now, with that said, Richard, do you think the way Brenda mentioned uh, about the increasing responsibilities about keeping it always on and reducing the workforce, are we, are we setting ourselves up for failure by increasing the risk? Um, I guess in a classical consultant's fashion, I will say it depends. Uh, Brenda's situation is, is very, very familiar. I mean, it's, it's not just public sector. It's also private sector. We have clients in both public and private sector, although I would say in general um, uh, the, the public sector people right now have a, have a much tougher road than the private sector people. Um, one of the sort of fundamental contradictions here is you, in, in, uh, in your opening uh, question, you talked about the increasing, increasing efficiency uh, always on and handling increasing complexity, and to some extent those are all contradictory. Uh, you know, as you uh, making things always on generally adds some level of complexity, and making things more efficient doesn't necessarily uh, do anything for the always on uh, or complexity. You know, those are those are sort of separate vectors. Um, but I think she's described the challenges very well, and uh, as I said, they're you know they're ubiquitous across all the fronts. Um, I I think the the, you know, the notion that there's no free lunch is true in this business, but unfortunately the IT's, IT world is being forced to deliver more with uh, at least, I don't know, Brenda, do you have declining budgets? Uh, generally speaking, we're seeing flat to, to tiny increases in the, public, in the private sector. Yeah, I think this is the uh, third or fourth budget in a row that we've put in that the direction from the administration and the direction from the legislature has been flat or less. And, and by less, they want 5 to 10% less. Yeah, there, so there's a lot of private sector companies being squeezed like that, but they can usually, they usually, they, a lot of them can get some relief. Um, but the, the accommodations I see being made is, um, uh, as, as you mentioned, there's a, there's, a, uh, you know, there's a tremendous problem with legacy infrastructure and legacy systems. At the same time, we're seeing, um, we're seeing a strong drive toward standard, but standard, i.e. x86 server platforms, um, uh, extensive use of virtualization to not only not only lower capex but also lower opex. Um, that's what's driving this whole um, migration to cloud services and cloud systems. Uh, although not all workloads uh, are not all workloads are suitable for that kind of environment, um, the move to standard systems and virtualization is also changing. Uh, fortunately, in a good direction, uh, the cost and complexity of providing high availability as well. 
Now, if you had these conversations that you're having today, like say 10 years ago, where we were still looking at data center as something which is just churning numbers, it's just more of a cost of doing business, so we got to minimize it. But now we are becoming so data and information dependent. What is it that is causing people to not open up their purse strings and allow right investments to be made so that you could do the automation, do the modernization, and do everything that you need to do to make your backbone strong. Isn't that your backbone today, Brendan? Definitely. Uh, you know, even, uh, I say even, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but even, even uh, you know, state, local, and uh, uh, federal governments rely, you know, rely on computers for their, for their, uh, their business in, in a private sector. Uh, some industries, like financial services, is, is uh, the, the, the real exemplar. You know, computers are the business. You know, there no, nobody nobody handles hands dollar bills across the counter anymore to you know to settle up a loan. This is everything is electronic. Uh, I think the reason that they're not opening up the purse strings is the purses are always limited, and in any in any large enterprise, and I admit to not knowing as much about the 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 nuances of a of a state government uh, budget fight, but in any private enterprise. There are always, you know, more people with their hands out for money than there is money, and typically the executive management is not willing to turn around and say, "Okay, here, IT, you can double your budget for the next three years to build us what you want." So it's a kind of Darwin, financial Darwinism. So, Brenda, in your world, as as uh, Richard is mentioning, that there could be a difference in the way budget is allocated, but isn't data center now seen as a backbone versus what it was earlier because you're moving more and more things to digital uh, versus paper-based and also trying to get to the next level of sophistication in the way you help and or support your, your citizens? I, you know, I think I'm going to use Richard's word, it depends. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to, I think, when you think about government, what is the first business of government? The first business of government is, A, taking care of your citizens. So you've got things like aid, aid to schools, um, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, public safety. Those are, those are your big budget items out of the budgets. And, I mean, in some states, uh, I, I don't think Nebraska is any different, that's more than half of the budget. So then you've got, in Nebraska, about 70 agencies then vying for the rest of the budget. And what happens to you is I think, you know, you get into a discussion of we're all trying to do more with less, we're all trying to deliver the services we're asked to deliver, and it literally still is a competition for that money. And when that competition gets to the point of am I going to fund uh, better infrastructure in the data center, or am I going to uh, go ahead and and develop my my trade mission, um, which may bring funds into the state? That becomes a very very interesting discussion for for the leadership of the state to say what really looks better for the state of Nebraska as far as where we end up financially and on our budget sheets. I think there is still a large group of people in both the leadership of most state governments and I think externally in, in even the, in the public we serve that look at IT and say that's just a cost. Again, it's a cost. Yeah, we can all read about the efficiencies, but I still got to put that money out there for the cost and it takes it away from some other area. So 
I think that there's some some uh, things that we as CIOs have to do in in government, especially. I, most of my job, quite frankly, is um, looking at the big picture. Where is the state going? What is our view? What is our vision? What is our mission? And then going out and selling it to the people that need to help me fund it. And that really becomes, I mean, I'm more salesman some days than I ever was a technical person. Now, with that said, Richard, do you think if we were to give CIO, to, in today's CIO, a dollar, maybe to Brenda or any other CIO in private or public enterprise, and they were asked to use that dollar towards the best output from a data center, would you recommend them spending that dollar or a larger percentage of that dollar in just hiring the best people and or automating and or buy, buying a better gear so that your end output is you're getting more for less? Yes. <laughs> the uh, series. No, pick one. The reason yeah. I say this is because if you do not pick one, then you will you will basically divvy up the funds, and you may not spend on where it will create the most value. Um, but where is that that it creates most value? That is um, that is um, it's it, that's a complex question. Uh, let me backtrack one second, if I may. Um, you talked about the data center people people thinking about their data centers as cost centers, and uh, thinking about the data center as what they have to spend money on. In fact, the users are spending money on services provided from the data center, and that's, what's, that's one of the things that's driving this whole movement toward the cloud is people are discovering there are alternative ways to deliver some of these services instead of out of a conventional data center. Um, I, just, I just want to make that split clear because that fundamental change in viewpoint is driving a lot of, is driving a lot of the changes. In terms of uh, answering your question, um, where I would spend my dollar. Um, ooh, you know, consultants hate to be put on the spot for a definite answer. Uh, you so what's your viewpoint? And it's not that it has yeah. to be, uh, you know, reflection of all that the world out there. Or maybe you can provide I us what is the, the world doing. I think the first part of that dollar should be spent on self-knowledge. The first part of the dollar should be spent on uh, really understanding what kind of services you have to provide and, and, and learning your own true cost to provide those services. Uh, the second part of that, the second aliquot of that, of that uh, dollar would be spent on, should be spent on uh, a triage exercise, deciding which services need to be invested in, which ones, which ones need the less investment. And then I would start I would try to hire the right people to deliver the services that I've identified as critical, and I would open the lens to include both in-house delivery, changing the in-house infrastructure with new systems, and I would also start looking at external, uh, at external services. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Brenda, we would like to hear your version of how you spend your dollar towards making the most out of your data center. Please okay. stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
live in an instant on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage and networks delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sunjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Brenda, what's your um, allocation plan, if you will, if you were given a dollar and you wanted to get the most out of your data center? Well, I think it's, this, it's um, you know, kind of a thing we do just about every day because it's, sometimes it feels like that's all we have is a dollar. But um, I, I wouldn't spend it on the employee um, angle because, quite frankly, state government is never going to be able to compete with the private sector as far as salaries and benefits for employees. And I'm not sure government was ever created to compete with them. So, you know, I think some of the comments that were made about cloud computing and some of the things that – that are coming up the coming down the road. Uh, I mean, I, they're not coming down the road. They're here, and we're starting as governments to, to explore it. Um, we're looking at some things in the in the cloud as well. Um, I think that helps us with having to put that dollar towards our, our current data centers and and what we're going to be able to do. So, in my mind, what I would do is use that money to start automating some of the processes and the and and the things that go on in our data center to help me again with that aging workforce, with that workforce I may or may not be able to recruit and to make sure that I can get some of the things in my in my organization done. Um, it's a complex topic. It's something that we would have to spend a great deal of time on. But if somebody was, was going to say, this is what you get and you can spend it on whatever you need, I think that's where, where government really needs to, to spend their dollars is figuring out a way to do things differently. Now, the very genesis of the topic that we picked today was the fact that what if we could 100%, we could bring in 100% automation into a data center? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that save a lot of headaches? And it will allow us to scale as well as extend the capabilities of a data center without having to deploy many more human bodies who are going to manage it. And also systems will take care of themselves. So with that uh, dream, what is it? How close can we get to that dreamland? And Richard, what do you think? What, what's your answer to this? The, the answer is it is a highly variable number depending on the maturity of the organization and how much they're willing to invest in building that automation capability. Uh, it can be done. Um, well, for example, anybody who uses Google or Gmail 
um, sees what you know. That is a service. That is a that is a highly, nearly totally automated service uh, that scales and manages itself and so on. Uh, on the other hand, you know, think about the money it took to build that. So, um, I, automation is a very good goal, and you could, in fact, automate a lot of the processes. And that is a huge initiative right now across the entire industry is the successive, uh, successive automation of a lot of routine operations in the data center. And it takes different forms. It takes a form of uh, packaged, uh, essentially packaged integrated solutions you can put into a data center. For example, Exchange uh, is always, a, you know, Exchange and SharePoint are two very complex environments. There's a lot of people trying to automate and simplify those. Um, Looking at it as a service, you see people looking at Exchange, looking at looking at their SharePoint, and and trying things like like going with with Google with Google Mail, or, an, or another online online alternative, to move that entire operation out of out of the uh, out of their internal data center. So the answer is it's variable. The payoff can be really big, um, but it takes a lot of time and money to to do the to make the investment in automation and as i as i said earlier that's what's driving some of these uh movements to movements to cloud um some of the mundane operational issues of a data center are driving people to put their put their data centers in colo sites because uh people who you know people whose job it is to to provide the physical data center infrastructure generally do a better job than people that are forced to do it to surround their proprietary systems now, with that said, Brenda, uh, do you think if you were to chart a roadmap of uh, automating the data center and striving for 100% efficiency or 100% automation for that matter, would you go about first cleaning the house, as uh, Richard mentioned, just put everything which is non-core on the cloud, maybe as a public cloud or private, whatever is allowed to allowed uh, from a, from a compliance standpoint, and then look at what all you can do to really remove the human intervention, and 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 will will that it does that is it that is it that easy? It's not that easy. That's the trick. Um, we've looked at some very mundane very um, low-hanging fruit to say, can we move that to the cloud and run into some very complex issues very quickly? Now, that's not to say that, well, let's all just, you know, shake our heads and say, no, we can't go to the cloud. I think what what the interesting part of the whole process is, is in government at least, it's something that hasn't been done for a long time, and that is bringing the people in that are involved in the process understanding what they're trying to accomplish, and then understanding what exactly all of the rules, regulations, laws are that pertain to what they're trying to to do, and can we and the provider that we would take that to meet those regulations. We run into HIPAA. We run into criminal justice information. We run into, you know, all of these pieces that seem to be roadblocks and, and may be roadblocks in some cases, and in other cases, may not be roadblocks. Some of it is changing processes that we use in the agencies. That's, again, another huge shift of the um, whole philosophy of, of service delivery for some of these people. I think it's possible. I don't think it is as easy as let's just pick up all of this stuff and let's throw it up into the cloud and see how it goes. Um, you've got to also have a strategy for coming back. What if you and the cloud provider 
no longer see eye to eye, and you need to bring that that uh, product, that automation, that service back in house while you figure out what the next step is. So I think there's a lot of things, uh, you know, as, as Richard said, this is a very complex topic to talk, to talk about, but we're having those discussions in, in state government, and I think it's one of those things. We're not just having it within the state of Nebraska, within our agencies, but the state of Nebraska is also having those discussions with other states. We're having those discussions with cities, counties. There's a lot of things that are going on in a lot of states to try to automate and get us all working in the same um, direction. Standardization is huge in state government. It's huge in trying to, to do this, and standardization and how you deliver those services is the only way to get you to the point you, where you can automate some of this stuff. Now, Brenda, one question is, do you think you fell, feel that you are trapped between standardization versus innovation dilemma? I don't know that I, uh, trap's probably not the right word, but I think that there is some, um, there is a lot of, of, of uh, credence to the fact that if you can't, um, you know, agencies in state government, I'll back up and start over. Agencies in state government were all created by legislative intent that created them somewhat separately. And, and we hear this a lot in state governments. You have got, you know, in Nebraska, we've got 70 some agencies. We've got 70-some businesses, basically, that are all in one organization, and we're now trying to get those organizations to act as one government. That's, that's your first step in most uh, state governments, and I think that's an important first step, and it's, that's probably one of the more difficult steps to take because you need, a, you need the leadership. We're very fortunate in this state. We have Governor Heineman who believes that this state government will be one state government and we're going to act as one state government. You need that executive leadership. But the second thing that happens then is you need to then start talking to people and you've got to be able to bend. Their first thought is, oh, this is the CIO coming in to take over everything rather than we've got to have discussions, we've got to have agreements of how we're going to do things, we've got to standardize. Those kinds of things have to happen, I think, in, in most organizations, and I don't think the public sector is any different than the private in that area. Then the third thing that has to happen is, what are we able to do and what are we able to automate? We're very cautious in Nebraska also about the other side of the automation coin, which is, what about the citizens we are serving? Can they get to those services? If we automate everything tomorrow, we may have a group of citizens that no longer can do business with state government because they have no access. So we have to be cautious about that side as well. Now, Richard, when you look at uh, the changes that are to make uh, to be made in order for us to move to 100% automation, is it truly like you are trying to change parts of a car while it's moving? Or is it something that is still doable and then you can very cleanly cut over to that 100% automation state? Um, and what – go ahead. Uh, for, first, let me, let me back up one second. I, I don't believe I said you absolutely should start moving things wholesale to the cloud. I said the first thing you need to do is, is what Brenda said, is you need, to, you need to understand the services and, you know, and make informed decisions on each one. And the steps she described about uh, – you know, working you know working collaboratively with the people who consume these services is is absolutely required. And as she said, it's not you know it's happening in private in the private sector as well, and it's a huge change in the way IT interacts. Um, 
when when I use the term automation, I am not necessarily referring to putting everything online so that there are no more humans involved in the service. I was refer I'm using it in a framework of automating the IT processes to support to support that to support that service however you decide to deliver it. So, so I'm, I'm possibly using it in a slightly different sense than you were you than you were intending. Now, one is to, of course, have that dreamland that it's 100% automation, so life is beautiful going forward. Another is to get realistic. But when you are trying to be real, how much automation is just about enough, Richard? It, you know, this is a really tough question to answer in, in, a, in a single capsule because it depends on what part of the process you're automating. For example, uh, going, you know, diving way down in the data center, um, the provisioning of servers, you know, installing a new server, um, and getting it in connected into the infrastructure of the data center, uh, installing the operating system and a required software and hooking it into a network has historically been a really time-consuming process for most people. There's been an immense amount of uh, technical development over the last decade to make that easier. That's the kind of process that should be with a, with a strong initiative to standardize the infrastructure. That's the kind of a process that should be nearly 100% automated. That you know, and, with with uh, with some of the the more advanced provisioning technologies and a mature virtual environment, virtual server environment, the installation of a new physical server for capacity should be invisible to the services running. Uh, so there's an example of where you can change the wheel while the while the car is rolling without disruption. Uh, so parts of this stuff can be can be very effectively automated. On the other hand, changing a major complex online service while it's running is really difficult, and typically you have to build it on the side and cut over at some point. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And then, uh, Brenda, I'd like to ask this question, which is a follow-on question from the one I asked Rich. At what point does automation actually become counterproductive? And what could be the signs of trouble when it is really going in the wrong direction while you're investing, but it is not truly helping or there is a lot of diminishing returns kicking in? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit HP.com for answers. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at HP.com. 
You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, uh, Brenda, at what point do you think the automation could actually become counterproductive? And what could be the signs that uh, it starts showing where it is law of diminishing returns or there are other ripple effect, some other regression issues start kicking in? Well, I think, you know, the automation issue becomes somewhat counterproductive um, when the agencies or the people that are consuming the service are so... Um, it becomes so easy, at least in a state government, for them to actually provision those services that they forget that they have actually are running things. For example, I think what 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 happens in state government, and, and I don't think we're unique again, is someone may want to provision a server, and it becomes a very automated process, and, and you don't have to talk to anybody. You go into our virtual environment, you spin up a server, you start running something, and it's a um, it's an application for you know sick leave that is accumulated by you every six months or whatever, and they start running that application. Well, after maybe two years, they don't need that application, and if there isn't an automated process to say this thing hasn't spun out in a couple of years, they can spin up a new server to do an almost identical application. And the next thing you know is we have all these applications running and consuming um, infrastructure, consuming resources that may or may not be necessary. Now, that's the extreme that, you know, you've, you've automated it to the point where nobody, and no, I mean, by nobody I mean absolutely nobody, is uh, keeping track of what's going on. But um, state governments, I think, we try to, to solve that issue by using a chargeback model. And, and I know there's a lot of controversy as to whether it's the right thing for state governments to do or not. We have those discussions amongst the state CIOs a lot. But my personal philosophy is one of the reasons that, that that's a good thing is because it does help you as a con- consumer understand how much you've consumed and, and what's going on. I think there are opportunities, there are, there are greater opportunities with um, no human intervention in automated processes to let things start to happen that you didn't intend to happen, unintended consequences of uh, people using resources that you think you have enough checks in and uh, it may be an application that writes your food stamps. You think you have the checks in it to make sure that no one can do uh, fraudulently log on and, and acquire this resource and without any human intervention that does the occasional audit or, or recheck of the resource, you could have a flaw in something that allows allow someone to get to something they shouldn't be getting to. So, I, you know, I, I think it's like goes back to what we've been talking about over and over again. You have got to have some pretty strong planning, standardization, and people have to understand what they're trying to automate and why. I, I think that's probably the most succinct summary of the, the issues involved that I've ever heard. Is, uh, is that you have to understand what you're doing and why and what the and, and what the governance model is 
uh, as, as Brenda just said, the governance model becomes so critical when you have automated, uh, you know, automated processes with minimal human intervention. Um, I, I've personally witnessed or been part of discussions with several clients where they've had anywhere from 150 to 1,600 servers and associated storage and network resources brought down because of mis mistakes in the automation scripting. Now, uh, Richard, question here would be where, you know, while we're trying to automate and trying to get the best out of this computers and perhaps processes, but there are human beings involved, and which could be the people who are working at the, uh, on the floor as well as the executive management. So who could pose a hindrance or be a stumbling block when it comes to moving to the most effective data center with the right level of automation that's needed? Um, basically, everybody you just mentioned, everyone in the food chain, as a, you know, my, my, my heritage is a pr primarily as a technologist, so I would like to instantly, of course, blame the executive management. But <laughs> the fact is, uh, there's an awful lot of people in this value chain, and there's an awful lot of people who, by, you know, uh, through ignorance or active, uh, you know, active opposition or passive, passive opposition can, can derail this whole process. Um, starting at the top, you have to educate your executive management as to what is what is really going on, what the real resource requirements are, and uh, you have to make them understand the consequences of not, uh, you know, of not backing these initiatives. Um, at the execution level, um, it's really important, I think, to get a buy-in from the team members, from the actual people who are going to be doing the work, and I've. Uh, it, recently, a couple of my colleagues and I have been conducting some research about organizational changes as new technology is brought into is brought into IT. And one of the interesting things that's coming out is that organizations change and, and internal work processes change as as, te as new technology is brought in. But it is typically most effective and most often driven from the team level up as opposed to the, to the senior management saying, here's how we're going to reorganize. Because, in fact, nobody understands how to use this stuff effectively except the people actually working with it. So getting buy-in from the teams and allowing them flexibility in how they work and how they implement and operate this, this technology is probably, it looks like it's re that's a really critical factor. Now, Brenda, do you think the business case for complete data center uh, automation and maybe something which is close to it is strong enough for you to go to your executive management and be able to get the funding for it? Or is there some inherently fuzziness exists that in, in this whole automation that what are you spending money on and what is it going to get for me? You know, I think as I think about the, the automation and, and the things that we have automated and the things that we've gone forward and automated, um, in, in state government and I think in most organizations, you're not going to want to go forward and say, we need money for automation because you might as well have just uh, thrown bags over everybody's heads because they've, they've tuned you out immediately. It's immediately, oh, my gosh, we're going to try to do something again that's going to remove us further away from our customers, our clients. We're going to do something again that's, that's really not going to be um, the wow factor, something that's going to give, give the wow out. What we, I think, in, in uh, my organization have done and the things that we have automated to date and the things that we have um, been successful with is we start with our, with our clients and our customers. 
that being our other state agencies and, and at some point um, even to the citizens of Nebraska. And we start with what are the services that you use that you would like to see more efficient and the services that we provide to you and I let my customers tell me what they need, and then I let them help me sell where I'm going to get the money from it uh, for doing it. I, I literally will go to, for example, we'll go to a um, Department of Revenue and, and talk about, you know, what are the things you need. And, they, and if they say to me, you know, it would be much easier, I'll, I'll go back to the virtual environment again, it would be much easier for us to do our own um, provisioning of our own servers, bringing up our own services on your environment. Um, we don't need to be making 52 calls and a help desk ticket and stuff. We want to be able to actually put together this, that, and the other thing and, and a golden image, and this is what I'd I want my environment to look like, and just let us do it. I don't go back then to the legislature or to the governor and say, this is what the Department of Revenue wants. I go to the Department of Revenue and I say, how are we go we going to fund it. Not necessarily you, not necessarily me, but we. And then we're going to go sell it together to whoever we need to sell it to, whether that's a federal agency, whether that's a state agency, depending upon how they're funded, whether it's the legislature, whether they've got the funding in their budget already that they'd like to um, pay our organization to set this up. So I, I can't tell you that I would ever go forward to a body of any type as a, as a funding body and say, I want to fund automation. What I need to do is I want to fund a better way for the taxpayer to pay their taxes. I want to fund a better way for us to make sure that I am paying the correct welfare recipients the correct fees or the correct dollars, that they, the benefits that they are entitled to. I don't sell the technology. I sell the service that I want to move forward, and that's the only way that you can can move forward on those things. Richard, in, in, in the world that you've seen, mostly private and public sector, for the progressive companies who have been able to achieve significant automation and also been able to derive enough value, what was the typical business case definition that was produced which was well-received and also was funded? Um, I, I agree 100% with what, what, what uh, Brenda just said about you, you don't go and ask for automation. You, do, you don't go and ask for technology. You go with the businesses to ask for money to solve one of their problems, to deliver a service they need. That's, that's to, in today's world, the you know, executive, executive committees and, C and CEOs don't want to hear about technology. They want to hear about services and solutions. Um, the you know the funding the politics of funding are obviously very different, but the fundamental the fundamental approach has the the ones I've seen that have been successful for major major structural transformations and major new programs are always business cases that focus on return on investment um, and cost of services versus alternatives, and in the private sector there's usually a there's always another element which is the opportunity cost of not doing it. Uh, however, those are historically sort of soft dollar costs. Every uh, executives are used to hearing people come to them and whine and say, "If I don't do this, our competitors are going to eat us alive." That's always in every business plan. It needs to be considered, but the business plan isn't going to be successful unless it has hard dollar proof on opex and capex and you know bottom line for the company. 
That's so absolutely the, right. But you can't, I can't go forward to uh, any of our executives and say, well, this is going to save your people and your agency time because they don't see that as hard dollars. I've got to be able to say, you know what, you're going to be able to remove those three servers. You're not going to have to pay for the licensing, the software on them anymore, and I can replace that cost with this smaller cost, and you just saved $600,000 a year. Yeah. In, in the private sector, time is sort of time depends uh, on whether or not that time translates to revenue, uh, I agree. I agree that you just say, you know, telling me, telling, telling the executives that you're going to save time isn't sufficient. What you have to do is, you, in, you know, if you're if you're selling a service or a product, if you tell them that you can that you can cut the delivery time to the customer from 30 days to three days, um, that means you can start billing 27 days sooner. Uh, and, and or your sales force can, you know, can their sales force can change the way they sell it. They can be more efficient at selling it and so on. Those kind of things, the, the time savings has to be tied to money. Now, with all the things that you both of you said, with something as geeky as data center automation, can you truly connect it directly to an, an end goal that a business might be seeking realistically? Well, very few people are automating entire data centers the way the way you're referring to it. They're typically doing it on a um, you know a, a service by service, project by project basis. Um, when people do major technology refreshes and major data center major data center reinvestments, they almost always change the infrastructure technology when they do it. I've I've yet to see somebody taking. 20-year-old data centers, building a new, you know, building a brand new data center, or going to a new colo facility, and take all of their old systems and put them all in there. Some may go, but they also use that as an opportunity to do the do some piece part transformation as they go. So you are um, essentially saying that any project that you take on, which is essentially a business value creation project, you bundle in the cost of that corresponding data center automation you would like to carry out anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's part. Yeah, that's part of the. That's part of the. That's part of the whole project. Uh, there's another level of data center automation, what people are calling data center infrastructure management or DSIM, which is the physical, which is the integration of the of all of the physical and building and facilities. Uh, and infrastructure management systems, so that you can get a holistic view of of power cooling, uh, you know, power consumption, power budget, um, uh, cooling analysis. Look for ways to optimize cooling uh, and to plan for future projects. That's the kind of a thing people will do on a whole data center basis. Uh, it usually takes, you know, twelve to thirty six months to really to to get it installed and, and functioning correctly. That can achieve some huge savings in uh, in opex in a data center in terms of power cooling and and future you know and, and efficiency of using the the space and power you've got. Um, but so that's the kind of a thing that people will do on a global basis. But in terms of the actual IT services deliver service delivery projects, those are typically done in chunks. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Brent, our question will be around people. So we have been staffing our data center uh, operations with folks who had been dealing with previous let level of loads. And as incrementally our complexity increases, load increases, and always on type of uh, directive increases, those people have to be retooled, reskilled. But truly, can you take those old docs to learn new tricks and essentially make your data center always be staffed with the best people you can? Or would you have something in mind when you chart the roadmap for 
the data center automation and, and modernization going forward. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an Instant On world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, uh, Brenda, about the people, you, you got people in the, in the past, the, the world changed, the data center needs changed, and the expectation in terms of where you want to take it from a level of automation and modernization is changing, and it's going to even change going forward. The people remain the same. How does that make you uh, any more effective from yesterday? Well, I think uh, one of the interesting things that we're dealing with um, in Nebraska is that the people, you're right, they're here, they've been here, we have a lot of long-term employees, but the one thing I've noticed about IT people, um, they're the kind of person, the person that is drawn to this kind of a a job and this kind of a um, career, they really like, for lack of a better word, tinkering with the new stuff. so when I offer an opportunity to say to someone, we'd like you to learn something new, a new skill set, that sort of thing, um, I usually get people that are more than willing to jump at the chance. Um, but quite frankly, people are probably my biggest um, worry when I when I sit down at night and go, okay, what what's what am I going to do next, and what's going to happen next? Um, Nebraska is in a unique spot. Our unemployment is at three and a half percent. So finding people, literally finding people um, in the state of Nebraska to work is, is a very difficult job. And then you're always competing with the, with the uh, private sector as well, uh, making sure that, you know, you can offer the same things or offer them the benefits that allow them to come and work for the state. So people is one of the things that we're able to do. But as, as government, I think one of the other things that we're able to offer someone in lieu of the big pay and the, you know, the fancy cars and all that sort of thing. So with, with the low unemployment, we're really always trying to give people an opportunity to do something different in state government so that we can do some competing with the private sector. So one of the things that we're able to do is, you know, we're able to say, um, you're working for a company that gets their fingers into everything from, 
um, banking to, uh, you know, public safety to uh, child support. We do, we do everything any other or most every other business in, in the state does because we have someone that either works in that area or regulates that. So we provide them with opportunities to train. We, have, we provide them with additional opportunities to um, try new projects. When one of these new technologies or new innovations comes forward and we're looking at, you know, mobile apps, we go out and say, is there, are there people in the organization that would like to work beside possibly the, the contractor we may bring in that, that does that and learn how to do this? So um, I think we, we are in the business of trying to teach old dogs new tricks, but it is an opportunity to say, you know, here is here's a different way of of providing you something that really hits your your wheelhouse as far as wanting to do something new and exciting. Now, with that said, uh, Richard, when you come from uh, like looking at all different organizations and you look at the typical improvements people are trying to make, whether it is in terms of the data center availability, the process automation, or introducing policy based control. Is there some sort of a maturity model that we are trying they are trying to get to, and we should all be striving to get to you know move towards? Um, yes, there are a lot. There are a lot of uh, you know. There, there's probably you know there's mature there are hundreds of, of maturity models out there. Um, they all have the same kind of basic structure, and it, it involves whether or not you know whether or not your processes are documented, whether they are repeatable. Um, you know whether they're whether they're documented, whether they're repeatable, whether they are in fact good processes, um, and you know as as organizations uh, you know get get their processes more and more in line, they're in a better shape. They're in a better shape to automate, and they're in a better shape new technology. Um, by and large, people, I think the characterization you heard of the of the IT you know the IT professional mindset is probably pretty is probably pretty accurate. They they are they are as a group people who love to tinker. Um, in any organization, there's going to be a sort of a you know there'll be a distribution. There'll be some people at the ta- at one end who just don't want to switch. And if you're a smart manager, you you know you keep them assigned to things that they're comfortable with for as long as for as long as there's any requirement for it. And then there's people at the other end who are just crazy to go look and and fiddle with any new technology and a lot of people in the middle who just you know who like who like doing it to greater or lesser degrees um, now okay so so very very quickly 30 seconds each the last question i have is that if an organization is trying to move towards a significant degree of automation in terms of their data center what are the top 3 things they should keep in mind as they go about their journey brenda let's start with you well, I think the top three things that they need to keep in mind as they head towards automation is their customers, their processes, and why they're doing it. Uh, not to do it just because it's something cool and somebody read it in an article and thought it would be something interesting to do. But they need to make sure that they understand what their customers are wanting. They need to make sure that their processes are solid, and they need to make sure that they, they truly know why they're actually moving in that direction. Richard, wow, can't beat that. <laughs> that's that's about as good as you can say. Know what know what you're trying to do for who. Um, on, on a purely technology side, 
they you need to have some trusted advisors to sort of help you you know help help you help you navigate the the morass of of competing vendors who want to take your money. But I think she just articulated the absolute uh, you know the absolute core principles for successful successful implementation of any kind of automated processes. Know who your customers are, and know why you're doing it and make sure your processes are correct before you try and automate them. Thank you so much, both uh, Brenda and Richard. It looks like that while it is a very good dream to have have 100% automation, and that's not going to happen overnight, it will be always bundled with uh, with business initiatives, which can be sold from a business value standpoint, uh, but, but it is not impossible. Uh, and thank you so much for all your comments and insights. Our pleasure. You bet. Thanks. And listeners, uh, send us your questions to views at CIOtalkradio.com. That is views at CIOtalkradio.com. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix. Offering go-to assist. Remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world?